Hi there. Welcome back to Real Film Chronicles. Uh, as always, thank you for joining us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Brian. And today we're going to be talking about a little film called Malignant. Malignant. Looking forward to this. Um, 2021 film recently came out in the theaters. And I think this was also done like premium video on demand at the same time. Uh, Ooh. Directed by James Wan, starring Annabelle Wellis, Maddie Hassan, and George Young. A variety of names that I don't recognize, but definitely uh, recognize Annabelle Wallace from a few different films, including the remake of The Mummy, uh, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, and she was also in one of the Annabelle movies, Creation, which I don't know if I was... No, I was not directed by James Wan. Yeah, as uh, I was looking forward to this movie, but I must say I did not really know it was coming out until it was out. Uh, did you have, was this on your radar at all? Um, not really. Um, I don't know. James Wan is one of those, he's so prolific now. I mean, he must be, he's going to be a huge moneymaker because you think of, he's done Conjuring. Yep. He's done the Saw franchise, the Conjuring franchise. I think he's, essentially he's, he, he directs the first movies and then I think he produces the rest of them. I think he did, he directed Conjuring and Conjuring 2 and then he produced the other um, Conjuring verse movies. And I think he wrote number three. Um, but between, I think between, was it Conjuring and is it Insidious? Insidious. He directed Saw. Insidious and the second Insidious. I mean, he's got to be, he's like a billion dollar, he's a franchise machine, this guy. He's a pretty prolific guy. He directed Aquaman is another one. Aquaman. I mean, that's, you know, you've made it big when you get to direct <laughs> one of these billion dollar movies. Right? And then he's also, he's part of the um, Fast and Furious family. He directed number seven. Yeah, so this, that's right. So this guy, I mean, the one, this guy knows how to direct. He, he can, I think he's most known for his horror films, but he knows yes. how to do action as well. He knows how to block a scene out. I mean, this guy is... It's weird, like he, fly, but he still for me flies under the radar a little bit. It's like I don't know, I don't, I don't always hear about his new films coming out. So *Malignant*, I was kind of aware of it in the background, but I wasn't really. It wasn't like on one of the big films on my radar, or even the one of the bigger yeah. horror films on my radar this year. Yeah, no, for sure. It just this one seemed to come out of nowhere. I almost had to like scold myself. It's just like I can't believe I didn't know a new James Wan movie was coming out yeah. so soon. And I've always like I love the first Conjuring movie, uh, Insidious. I do also love those movies as well. Uh, obviously, the first Saw is like a masterpiece. It's uh, a classic. You know, it's a classic, right? Um, Aquaman. I mean, it's one of those films. I'm not sure if like his own style was was that noticeable in the film? And I'm kind of curious on your thoughts on Furious 7, which he directed. It Did that feel like a different film than the rest of the Fast and Furious movies, or did it just get kind of caught up in the franchise feel? Um, Well, I might be biased here, because I do love the the Furious, Fast and Furious franchise. Fast and Furious franchise, the whole thing's a tongue twister. But like, <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed 7, and I think it, it did a good job of like fitting in well with the rest of the series, but also having James Wan be able to put his mark on things. Whereas yeah. I felt like Aquaman, I think, I mean, it's, I think it's really difficult for directors or actors. I mean, you get pulled into the orbit of one of those big studios like Marvel or DC and everything kind of gets a little bit more homogenized, right? You have to have yes. a really strong voice, a really strong authorial voice 
like someone like a Sam Raimi, I think, coming up with um, Doctor Strange 2, I think we'll be able to see his kind of voice and his style poke through. Mm -hmm. But I think in that big studio system, especially with those big superhero movies, everything there's a tendency towards homogenization. I think Aquaman suffered from that a little bit, especially in terms of that that final third act and that giant battle which is a bunch of stuff on screen. Yeah. I thought that like in terms of like the rest of the movie was was solid action wise and, and 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 blocking things out, but I thought like Furious 7 was like James Wan was really showing was like this is how you you do an action movie and he like really really cohesive action scenes and really easy to follow action scenes, right? I think Furious 7 really spoke to his action credentials a little bit more than Aquaman, I think, just mm -hmm. because I don't know, it felt like he was more free to do his own thing and and, and play to his own strengths. And yeah, which I mean, he's a great, uh, he's a great director. And I was like, I feel bad that I overlooked this guy, but I think yeah, maybe yeah. that speaks to his strength. It's almost like, because uh, when I talk, think about favorite directors, I don't always think about people like Spielberg, for example, because it's almost like it's a given that he's mm -hmm. in there. And like with modern horror, I think it's just kind of almost, it's almost like a given now that James Wan is just like, oh yeah, of course I love James Wan films right. because like, <laughs> it's just like, it's almost like a given that he, you, you're a fan of James Wan if you're a fan of modern horror, right? Yeah, well, exactly. And I think we honestly let the modern horror uh, genre right now has some thanks to give like uh, for his style and a lot of movies I think have emulated that since. Uh, I think, the Conjuring came out in around 2012, 2013, and we've seen a lot more of these styles of films. And I think the, uh, I don't know, I think the the genre is a little better for his presence in there. But it's also kind of funny you mentioning like his style uh, and the in in terms of the Conjuring universe, uh, really well shot films. And I can't remember which one it is because there's a whole bunch of them now. There's the Annabelle series that, yeah, like you said, he's producing. There was the uh, Nun movie, and I think there was a La Llorona as well. And I don't remember which one it was I was watching, but he was producing it. He was not directing it. But one of the best scenes in the movie, I'm reading the trivia afterward, is the one scene of that movie he did direct himself. It's just like, oh, like he's just, he was able to elevate that scene beyond the the rest of the crew whoever else was directing it uh which was <laughs> kind of funny to see it's just like i want to see more movies directed by this guy i want to see his visual style applied to these to these genres here it's 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 really good stuff yeah absolutely you're not going to find any of that chicky cam nonsense you're going to find a lot of um movement in the camera like in malignant there was some oh, pretty yeah. crazy action scenes it turns out um but it was all like super easy to follow um, but still it didn't, you didn't sacrifice any of that kinetic energy or that momentum yeah. of the scene. And, and that's really hard to do Like you look at a lot of action scenes now, especially I don't want to rag on superhero movies because there's other action movies that do the same thing <laughs> where it's just like a bunch of stuff and it's like shaky cam or it's, um, or the camera's moving so fast and there's so many cuts and everything that you can't follow the action that's going on. Yeah. But James Wan's style is just, it's so, it's so clear and there's a kinetic energy to his action scenes, but they're so legible and they're so easy to follow. Like you, you can mm -hmm. tell there's a, there's a focal point to the action scene or any scene going on. There's a, there's a visual focal point and it, it kind of anchors everything there. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, you don't appreciate it until you see, um, until you see all the other <laughs> kind of imitators or other people trying to get to that level where even something like as simple as doing a jump scare in a horror movie. And there's, I, I think we were talking a little bit before about 
there's a certain kind of timing to horror, just like there's a timing to comedy. And I yeah. think that James Wan has that timing, both in terms of action beats yeah. and both in terms of horror beats. Like he, it's something that probably is a bit of, bit of nature and nurture. Right? It's probably something that comes naturally, but it's something that he's worked on and honed, I think. And it's, it's interesting, like uh, Malignant specifically does have quite a few action sequences along with its suspenseful horror sequences. And that's one of the notes I made during the movie is I wanted to take note of the different shots and visual flourishes that are going on. And I think it, it's it's all him, right? He's bringing this stuff in here. There is one, I don't want to talk about spoilers yet, so there's no spoilers at the moment here, but uh, there's like a transition scene with our characters sort of being uh, like transported into a different reality or like uh, she's having a vision maybe where this, the screen, her surroundings kind of melt away around her and morph into um, the other scene. And it's like, this is a transition that I haven't seen before. Maybe it's, it's you know, due credit to the special effects teams and, and whatnot. But I believe that direction was brought, well, is what brought us those uh, interesting transitions. But also at the end of that transition scene on her transportation back to her own reality, uh, I mean, she's, she's terrified. There's scary things happening. She's screaming. And when she's transported back, we get like sort of flash cut over to her house. Like she's sitting on the floor in her house, but she's still screaming. And there's like this warbly uh, distortion, like visual distortion going on around her that like slowly fades away. It's like, oh, that was a really neat little touch on that, uh, on bringing that back. It wasn't like another horror film, just like flash cut. She's screaming in her hallway or something. And then that's it. It's like, no, we get a little more with a, a, a subtle special effect there. There's a lot of neat things going on in this film. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a neat little film. So I guess we should take a, a quick moment to just give the the overview of the film, right? So this is the as per letterboxed overview, and hopefully it is not too spoilery in it. Um, but here we go. Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that you've said before. It's like, I'm glad I don't read these before watching the movie. Um, not that, you know, it, it would necessarily lessen things. There are a few twists uh, in the film that uh, are unspoiled by that overview. But yeah, it was, it was really weird because I actually did read something similar. Um, just like a quick summary of the movie before I started watching it. And uh, yeah, like this is the thing because there's so many twists in the movie and there's big it relies on the twists and the spoilers so like this i was i was waiting for this to happen and because it doesn't happen right away yeah in, yeah in the movie this is like this is a small part of what's actually going on it is yeah it's it's a reveal that happens later on i guess yeah but without talking about spoilers let's give a quick recommendation what is your overall feeling on the film would you recommend it to horror fans or who maybe who is somebody else how do you feel? So I'm mixed on Malignant. I know I was reading online. A lot of people loved it. Mm -hmm. Some people hated it. Like on the, the movie subreddits, people were loving the heck out of this movie. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying that Malignant is no conjuring and it's no saw. <laughs> so if, for me, it was kind of, there was some really neat stuff in here in terms of storytelling and in terms of the visuals um and then there's some other things that just didn't 
click with me or didn't land or it felt almost like this was it felt sometimes like it was like two or three different stories that had been yeah. kind of blended together so like i would i would still recommend it was a, especially you get to like the second half of the movie and really like i guess the last last third or last quarter of the movie yeah, yeah. horror fans are gonna love this i think um the first half is a little bit slow but i think once you once you get through that um, horror fans are going to love this. James Wan fans are going to absolutely love this. One thing that yeah. James Wan is great at is coming up with these original ideas that really capture people's imagination. You look at like the mm -hmm. Saw franchise is still going on. It's being rebooted with like yeah, the Spiral yeah. movie, um, potentially movies. Um, so yeah, I would absolutely, with not wholeheartedly, but I would definitely, it's, it's definitely worth taking a look at this because it's, it's very rare these days that you get an original idea and potentially even an original horror icon dare dare mm -hmm. i say going forward that to <laughs> potentially compete with the likes of freddie and jason so yeah absolutely i think i would uh, definitely recommend this film with a few with a few caveats yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your overall score of the movie uh, <laughs> i guess after we discuss it in, in full spoilerific detail um for myself i was loving this film i really really enjoyed it um i don't know i was just fully invested into it almost from the i'd say the very first opening scene i was just like eh, okay this is kind of feels almost like a little bit cliche but it's important to set up like we sort of come back to the, it's come back to the scene the movie opens up like uh 30 years previous i think it's in 1993 um and there's some crazy events happening you're not really sure what's going on and then the movie i mean it just as you said it starts out a little slow but i was still invested in it right from the beginning and it's honestly it just never really stops for me i was just loving it and then that last half of the movie you kind of know where things are going and that's absolutely fine i was just there for the roller coaster ride and i i was just grinning ear to ear for a lot of it and when things were just like compounding on top of each other it was just like yes yes please give me more this is really fantastic so there's some there's some decent horror in here i, I know we were talking before the podcast about like getting scared uh, watching <laughs> movies i didn't really find this very scary at all but i really I appreciate that they went into the gore side of things and there's some really neat effects there at the end um, or throughout, I guess I should say like the, the villain reveal at the end was just like, mm, I'm loving every second of this. Um, I don't know. It's a definite recommend for me. I just, I just loved it. It was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. It's been a while since I had this much fun in a horror movie, I think. And maybe that says something that's not as much horror as it is like maybe is it a horror comedy? Would you say it has some comedic undertones to it? Um, this is the thing because I was reading online, and people were like, "Oh, it's like a horror comedy, like more in the vein of Sam Raimi." And I was like, I did not get that at all. No, and I think I remember seeing something about that as well. And I was trying to, like, I had Sam Raimi in my mind while I was watching. It's like, no, no, this isn't, this isn't really the case. But some comedic moments, but not enough to label it. It wasn't like a horror comedy in the same no. sense that. Evil Dead or like American Werewolf in London might be considered. Mm -hmm. Even American Werewolf in London, I don't know if that would be horror comedy. I don't know. Shaun, or maybe Shaun of the Dead is a better example. Shaun of the, Shaun Dead, of the Dead is a good example. Better example. Like that's comedy, horror yeah. comedy. Because there's some like truly horrific elements in there, but like blended with the comedy. And this one is like, it, it's not, like to me, a horror comedy, you could go in and expect things like I could be really scared or I could be like laughing the whole time. And it's like, and this wasn't 
that. But like, it sounds like I'm a little bit more lukewarm on the film than you are. I enjoyed it, but maybe not to the same degree. I don't think. I don't, and I think maybe it felt original as well, which I think I can I could get behind. I appreciated that. Now that being said, I did read like a quick. I don't even know it was a full review. I was like going through letterbox, just checking for general yeah. ideas before the movie. And I saw in one of the reviews uh, a comparison to uh, the movie Basket Case. Uh, and I haven't I feel seen it like, yet. Yeah, like I've. I was thinking about this last night, knowing we we're going to record. Is like if if people have seen Basket Case, it might almost be spoilery for this movie because. Uh, Wait, and are you spoiling Basket Case for me now? <laughs> now you gotta choose between me and your audience brian let's see oh how my I... god oh my god yeah i mean two basket cases spoil like it this, for me it, it's this old like early 80s yeah. like low budget like kind of schlocky horror that is much more comedic but also kind of familiar to malignant like if you've seen one you're gonna be kind of familiar with this but i really like that this was if this is, you know, sort of a spiritual remake of Basket Case, that this is more serious and it's just kind of this modern take with really nice special effects and some good amount of horror and, I mean, some nice budget behind it for, for quality production value. All that being said, let's get into spoilers if we haven't already. I mean, maybe the Basket thing, Case thing is spoiled for some people already. I'm sorry. I guess for like hardcore <laughs> horror fans, I guess, which maybe I, <laughs> may, I may have just uh, outed myself and been kicked out of the ranks of <laughs> hardcore horror fans for not having seen Basket Case yet. Um, well, it's okay. There's three of them that you need to watch at some point. So put it on my list for my <laughs> annual Halloween watch here. Yes, exactly. Nice little franchise right there. But yeah, so getting into the movie itself, I mean, it starts off back in the uh, the olden days of what 1993. I think oh, it was. which honestly, <laughs> like what it says, like 30 years ago, 1993 oh, is like I remember 93 God. all too well. We were definitely aging ourselves here, but yeah, go go go, go proceed, please. It feels a lot longer <laughs> ago than it should. <laughs> but yeah, and it's like it's classic kind of horror setup, which I appreciate. It's like in this, um, obviously, there's some kind of um, medical facility poorly lit medical facility as they always are in horror films and there's a doctor doing this little recording messages message um like whatever like case she's working on and she gets called out um people are getting brutally murdered by one of their quote-unquote subjects and they eventually have to like shoot the subject with a uh um not a dart gun what, what is it called um yeah, what Sed was that? They sedate them with like a tranquilizer, a tranquilizer oh, gun. A, a tranquilizer, tranquilizer yeah. gun. It was like a tranquilizer gun right out of But even uh, in that Park. opening scene, you see like the, there was a bunch actually. I don't know whether it was like some deeper meaning, but a lot of people had their arms, limbs broken and bones sticking out. It happened several yeah, times yeah. in the movie. It happened early on. And then we just get a hint <laughs> as the subject is taken away. It's like it pans down. You don't get this full shot of the subject as they're taken away, but it's like it pans down to their socks and you can tell it's a little kid because they have the little kid socks with like a face on it. And they say, and I can't remember what the doctor says, something about removing the cancer or something. Um, there's a repeated yes. line. And then we get like this great opening credit sequence, by the way. It's, it's this great spooky mm -hmm. sequence of like, just like, of close-up shots or random shots of like surgeries and and amputations and and, and blood and we find out later that 
the surgery is actually in a specific context in the film, but like just up front, it's just like, it's super creepy and super gross. And it was a great way to introduce a horror film and this horror film specifically, which dealt a lot with that body horror, I think. And that, yes. uh, and the, that gore, which they could have leaned to a little bit more. I felt like a couple scenes, especially that police station scene. I think there was like CG blood. I don't know if it was all yeah, squibs. Yeah, the police station scene was. I don't yeah. know. It was like it didn't feel as visceral as something like um, I don't know what would be a recent one. Maybe uh, Midsummer didn't feel like it was using yeah. special effects when it felt like there was blood and gore. It felt like it felt there was a lot more out. impact in in other films like Midsummer, uh, yeah. especially referencing that police station scene. It's like that is where we go back to the action. And it's like that felt like an action scene where it, it was almost like a scene out of 300. Yeah. Uh, where there's just like this, the, the killer is wielding this big blade and just like almost in slow motion, cracking people's bones, removing people's arms, slicing through their, their faces. It was just like the whole thing may as well have yeah. been CG. And then that, and so for me, it was a little bit disjointed because we cut to that, we cut from that opening scene of like this hospital and the kid and they're doing surgeries on the kid. And then we find out later, Maybe it's sooner, like they're doing like reconstructive surgeries on kids as well. So I was like, okay, something's going on here. Yeah. But it cuts to completely, well, it's not a completely different person because it turns out it's one of the kids that was in that institution. Um, But there's this, the woman, I don't, Madison. Madison, yeah. Madison, aka also known as Emily, I think, was the, yep. was her birth name and she was yeah. adopted and all this stuff. Um, but she's pregnant and she goes home to her. It starts off with her coming home to this, to her abusive husband who yeah. winds up pushing her again, like not just pushing, like it was, it was super uncomfortable oh, and it super was, violent. It was violent. When he like, and it was, it was, yeah, it was horrific on its own. Right. Because it's like, oh my God. I mean, I know a lot of horror movies have like political and social commentary and, and are tackling other issues. And it's like, oh, is this movie about domestic abuse? And it was just, it was so literal. It was almost off putting, but it was also like, oh, that is really scary because they're, he's trying to watch, I'll say RFC, not UFC. It was on the TV. <laughs> Is that what it said? I guess they couldn't get the UFC name. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, and she comes home and she's pregnant and he's basically just like, you know, get out of here. I'm trying to watch this fight. Right. And I can't remember the argument they're having. And he slams her head against the wall. It's really horrific. Very um, and she is able to lock him out of the room after that. But that is really, it wasn't just, uh, I was thinking, oh, this is kind of a little tropey. They're just taking extra care to show us what a, uh, a jerk this guy is. Right. Because very shortly afterwards, everyone goes to bed. He's sleeping on the couch downstairs. He hears some noises. Uh, he gets it up to investigate and he's just like brutally murdered down there. And then the attacker runs upstairs and like gets Madison. Right. And it all goes to black and she ends up waking up at the hospital later on. But yeah, I mean, in the full context of the movie, that slam against the wall is what awakens the killer. Um, yeah. What was his name? Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah. Do we, yeah. do we give away the game right now since we're talking spoilers? Yeah. We're, yeah. We're talking full spoilers so, here. I think it was really important. It was nice that it, it set that up earlier in the film. It and they did. Were, yeah. They were sort of referencing later on, but it's like, oh, it's, it was kind of like, oh, the audience feels smart. They can piece this together because yeah. Gabriel is a parasitic twin uh, that they basically pushed back into her brain. So they 
the twins shared a brain. So yeah, right? so when they when they do the reveal at the end, and then the, this parasitic conjoined twin is essentially like if you look at Madison on, on her back, is like this weird, this gross face on the back of her head, and like he's got like a partial, partial butt, almost looks like a twisted version of like Quado from uh, Total Recall. Yeah, exactly, like those thoughts exactly. So yeah. what they ended up doing, <laughs> the big reveal is like because they were like essentially two individuals but sharing the same brain. Um, but it was like a weird kind of connection, but what they did was like, they removed as much of Gabriel as they could. And then like surgically kind of concealed the yeah. rest of him as best they could behind her skull and, and her other body parts. I don't know how that worked in the spine. Cause he obviously had like a rib cage and everything. It was, I think they, they basically tossed most of it. Yeah. Cause they couldn't, they couldn't, uh, <laughs> they couldn't fully remove him because it, it would kill Madison or there was some kind of. You know, well, I think the thing is that because they shared a brain, they couldn't just like slice through the brain to to separate them. So they're like, okay, they removed as much as they could, and literally, like, I think the scene is them shoving the extra brain the re- into the her rest skull of the face and then like which, sewing it up. Yeah, I think like the face yeah, is the almost face. connected to the brain directly itself, and it's like they sh- yeah, and there were like eyes and things of that thing too, right? There's eyes oh, yeah. and like a teeth and whatnot. Which, which apparently it was really gnarly. Apparently, too, is like tumors. If you look it up, yeah. don't look it up, but look it up, but, but don't look it up. <laughs> but tumors can actually grow because it's like just different cells from your body. So they can actually, tumors can grow like eyes and teeth and hair and stuff. And like, yeah, and full, like, I think full organs, but like tumors, it's really weird and bizarre. But that was the whole thing is like essentially like, like Emily slash Madison or Madison slash Emily had Gabriel, this other being inside of her. And essentially, partially through therapy and partially when she got adopted by this family and the family showed her, you know, love and affection. And then she had a sister Mm -hmm. who she was able to kind of rely on. And so she was able to overcome, you know, essentially kind of Gabriel was pushed to the, to the back of her subconscious or whatever. Yeah. But then getting hit in the back of the head really hard, which is where Gabriel kind of quote unquote lived. That essentially was the Mm -hmm. catalyst for waking Gabriel up and setting the events of this, whole um horror movie in motion so it's kind of neat that going back and also it was was kind of going back that there were clues the beginning and you see throughout the movie i was like oh like she kept to wake up and like her head would still be bleeding like days later i was like oh man she got hit really hard until i figured out the twist well that was the thing it's just like she went to the hospital because she was attacked by the uh, the supposed home intruder and uh, two weeks later she's back home (laughs) right um She's back home and the back of her head is still bleeding on occasion. It's just like, surely they fixed her up, but they didn't, they didn't really like call yeah. it out at all. But what we find out is that it's bleeding because when Gabriel comes out, he has to like, essentially her skull kind of opens up and his oh, face comes out, which at, it's so gnarly at the end. It was like, this is a really cool idea. And like, this is the way he moves. Cause he has to like essentially move her body backwards. So like, he's like putting her shoulders at yes. a joint so he can like move in his, in his, like his forwards is yeah. her backwards. But like the way, and I think they specifically hired like a, a dancer or something to get those, just like choreograph yeah, yeah. those really weird movements. And it was really unsettling. Like it reminded me of the and exorcist it, oh, yeah. and like that scene where Regan comes down the stairs all backwards and spider-like and like anytime yeah. you go backwards like that, and it's like, there was something uncanny about the way they were moving through the whole, uh, Gabriel was moving through the whole movie. Loved every yeah. second of that. Like, uh, like they must've had like a couple of people, like you said, they brought someone in like almost a contortionist and I'm sure they cheated in a few scenes there, but like there's multiple moments where it's like, there's an unworldly movement to this person. And you're, and before the reveal that it is Gabriel inside, like controlling her Madison's body, it's like, 
what is this creature? Like, this is really weird. It's supernatural and it's creepy. It's really creepy. I loved every second of that. I loved the reveal of this thing, like the the skull, the back of her head splitting apart and this little gooey brain coming forward. And it's funny because you actually saw this face earlier in the film and you're thinking, oh, this is like a disfigured but supernatural creature. It was, it was creature. obscured because the, the killer always had long hair and it was like half covering the face. Yes. So at least I was like this weird disfigured eye and part of the nose and mouth. Yeah. So you didn't really get a sense yeah. of like how it fit into the body. So it was like, it was good about. Yeah. Because Madison has long, like brown hair yeah. or black hair. And it's just like, oh, it's, it's, it can't like fully pull apart all that stuff. But it's like, it's got one eye. It's doing all it's, it's, it's activity with. It was so gnarly. I love that. They, I don't know. I just love that, that aspect of, of the villain. Like I love the, uh, it was a really neat was idea. Neat. And, uh, I'm not usually one to, think about these things as I'm watching the movie and guess it. But for some reason, this movie, I felt like you called it. I felt like I was invited to, and I did call it about halfway through. Yeah. Did you, did you pick up on this as well? Did you call it as you were watching? Did you figure it out as you were watching it as well? I didn't pick up on the idea that it would like be a shared brain that like the creature was coming right. out of her skull. I thought it was, yeah, that was pretty specific, but I did get the sense earlier in the film that it is the same person because um, yeah, I mean, it just, it felt like it was going to be the same person that was Madison under some kind of uh, hypnosis or something like she has a split personality, anything. I didn't really realize they were going to go for the, the actual second brain. Yeah, cause I, I was, uh, I was trying uh, to right. piece together, like, <laughs> and this is the, this is the thing where I, t I talked about, like I mentioned where it felt like it was almost like a couple different stories kind of almost stitched together. Mm -hmm. It was like that idea of the, um, the hospital and the reconstructive surgery on children. And that stuck out so much in my head is like that. It was like so blatant. It's like, this has to come into play later on. And so I was looking for ways that could come into play. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, and then as, as soon as I saw, I was like, Oh, this children named this child named Emily was like a patient of theirs. And it's like, and they're going to age her up. And it's like, I knew then it's like, Oh, they're going to age her up and it's going to be Madison. I was like, okay. Like it seemed like, yeah. I don't know, like they were trying to, things were too telegraphed because normally I'm not the guy who figures this stuff out when I'm watching a movie. Yeah, I'm not yeah. the person who's a looking for it or B picking up on those clues the first time. And like, for me, like I like to just go in and not like think not, and I'm not trying to solve the mystery, right? I want the mystery to be revealed to me. You, you let the movie wash over. And this you, one right? felt like you let the mystery just, this one felt like it was like almost like tell, like it was like, um, broadcasting. It was like, it was almost like daring me to like, yeah, solve my mystery. And it was like, yeah, fine. Then I guess I will. <laughs> but it's just like some yeah. some really jarring things or that the whole idea of like gabriel slash madison had some kind of psychic power or some kind of electromancy power we need to talk about this because it was just we need to talk about this which is another yeah. element that felt like it was just like it felt like it was from a different script that just got tacked on in this one it was really weird So it, it's established that gabriel has the power to affect electricity uh, which basically fulfills the horror trope of whenever Gabriel shows up in, at your house, your lights start flickering. So you go and investigate them, which makes you vulnerable to Gabriel's attacks. Um, but Gabriel also had the ability to like make phone calls on your cell psychically. phone. Or like psychically, because there's a, at one point Madison is uh, being interviewed by the police, like in an isolated like interview room. And Gabriel phones the police officer. Um, he answers and it he's talking to Gabriel while Madison is sitting there, really just doing her own thing. 
And at that point, I'm just like, oh, it is like, is it like ventriloquism or something going on here? But it's like, no, it's really undefined that Gabriel can like psychically make phone calls. And they really don't address that later on um, throughout the rest yeah, of the movie. So I think it's just kind of a mystery. This is one of it? the key problems. Because at the beginning of the movie, it's like, oh, there's like, oh, try the electroshock on him. It's like, oh, he's like siphoning off the electricity. It's almost like he's drinking it. It's like, okay. But then he's like, he's using, he's manipulating electrical waves, or radio waves to talk, talk, yeah, to, talk right. to the oh, radio. Oh, he would talk to people through. And then talk yes. to people through through a cell phone, which I'm not sure, like, is he sending signals to the, like, the actual cell phone tower? Because that's how it would work, right? It's like, it, it, yeah, so exactly he's got to essentially <laughs> send out psychic waves to the cell phone tower that get that pings back to this, the whole... He must have good, so, good cell phone. And this is one of the things that kind of took me out of the movie where it felt like the seams were showing just a bit where it was like, it seemed like, and this is the problem, I think, that maybe James Wan because he was one of the story by credits as well. So he was one of the writers on this. Yeah. Maybe getting inside his own head a little bit where he felt like everything felt like just a little bit too meta. If it was like things were meta, but not mm -hmm. self-aware of that meta meta-ness. Like the movie was still too serious, but also that, because yeah. it was constantly doing these misdirects where it's like, oh, you thought it was going to be demon possession where even at the beginning it was like the couch cushion started to rise as if, as if someone yes. had just gotten up. I was like, and then, but like looking at the other rest of the movie is like, well, how is that possible then? And then like the whole flickering yeah. lights thing, which is a trope, even in the conjuring universe, like that's electrical yeah. interference with <laughs> ghosts kind of go hand in hand. And so it was like, it was like misdirecting. It's like, oh, you think it's going to be a ghost, but it's not a ghost. And it's like, even like shots was like at the beginning when the abuse, abusive husband, I don't even know the, that jerk's name, but he goes, he's in the kitchen, he's investigating these weird things and like close up on the, on the blender as it's going, he goes to turn it off and there's a close up on the blade. It's like, oh, is he going to get his hand cut off in the blade? It's like, no. Yeah. But it, complete misdirect. But yeah. it feels like there was so, such obvious misdirects. It was going, leaning so far into misdirecting people. Um, so far into that meta game of me yeah. that it, it kind of lost focus on, on the narrative itself and, and the storytelling. And that's why I kind of said, it's like, it's not like, for me, Malignant, it's not on the same caliber as Saw or Conjuring that were kind of like yeah, genre-defining. You know, like they came in as like, you know, the Conjuring really came in and reinvigorated that, like, you know, like the, the haunting and demonic possession kind of genre. And the Saw franchise, it was like, it reinvigorated, I guess, like the slasher film, but it was like its own, it was kind of revolutionary. It, it kind of revitalized... Yeah. Like James Wan came in and revitalized horror at least two separate occasions, revitalized yeah. the entire genre. So like, <laughs> it's not nothing against James Wan, but I think it feels like there was a couple different ideas from a couple different stories and scripts that kind of got mashed in that maybe didn't fit well sure, with yeah. the rest of it. And then the, all the meta stuff it was just like, it was getting too meta and, and it was getting like the movie was too, it was too self-aware in the worst, in the worst kind of way. And for me, mm -hmm. I think that's why one of the reasons, one of my big kind of nitpicks with the film is like these, like not everything in the film has to make sense. Listen, the Evil Dead franchise, the continuity is completely, yeah. completely crazy, bonkers, doesn't make any sense, but it's, it's, it works because it's, it plays into that hard where this one, it felt like it was, there was a couple comedic scenes. There was some horror, there was some drama, there was some supernatural elements, but it didn't quite mesh perfectly. Like all the slasher stuff work great like all, mm -hmm. when, it, when it was revealed as like okay like this is a slasher villain and he's going out and just slashing people this is this is awesome but uh, you bring in yeah, like yeah. the psychic stuff 
and no, that, there's no other supernatural elements except for Gabriel Madison could sometimes talk through phones and radios and affect and <laughs> make light bulbs flicker or explode. I don't know. It felt kind of out of place. Yeah. There's also like a kind of a thread in the movie that didn't make much sense at the beginning when the killer, like the yet as yet unknown killer kidnaps a tour guide and like brings her into like, you know, his little area and keeps her there for whatever reason. And we go back there maybe once or twice uh, before it's fully revealed. I, I would say at a good hour after it happens, but you you keep thinking about it. It's like he kidnapped this woman, but he's killing all of these other people. Everyone right? else is dead, uh, but it might be captures. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be important to point out that the killer is killing all the doctors from 1993 that uh, basically cure the cancer by essentially taking well, from, Gabriel out of from Gabe's body. From Gabriel's right? perspective, they literally like chopped him into pieces and removed as much of him as yeah, they exactly, possibly could. Yeah. So it's like from his point of view, it's pretty horrific what they did, even though yeah. like even before one of the reasons they took him out, he was telling Madison to do bad things or he was, she was Emily when she was before she was adopted, but it's like he was telling her to kill people even before like they, yeah. They, whether she was a she was a child, yeah. So he was not like he wasn't innocent in all this either, right? But so what they did to him was pretty horrific. So like, yeah, it's gonna mess him up even more, right? Um. So that whole kidnapping thing doesn't really pay off until the very very end when, um, her Madison's sister is basically piecing together that Madison, that was her mother and Madison thought that her birth mother was dead this entire time, uh, giving birth to her, but she was actually uh, alive and well giving tours of underground Seattle. Um, and so Gabriel basically kidnapped her. I don't know. I don't remember to what end, uh, but that's also the, it brings together this other complete misdirect that has no payoff. And I found kind of strange, but by this point I was having too much fun where the sister, and I can't remember her name. I'm sorry. Uh, is going out to investigate that hospital, uh, which it looks so completely ludicrous. Like it's on top of this cliff. Uh, oh, it's, yeah. it looks big and scary. Oh. It's all, it's abandoned. Like it is. Okay. It's a haunted place. It looks crazy. Okay. Yeah. One of the scariest scenes in the film. And I, for me, I'm not usually afraid of heights, but when she pulls up, she pulls up like right to the very edge of the cliff. It's like, yeah. I was like, she's going to drive off the edge of the cliff and die for no reason. This is insane. I took, I actually took a note on that because it's like, I can't believe this girl drove that close to the cliff. Who would allow a car to get that close to, I mean, it's kind of established at the beginning of the movie. These cliffs are like two or 300 feet up over the sea and it's like yeah. there's no safety rail there's nothing and she just drives up there gets out of her car nonchalantly <laughs> and just walks away and i'm like wow on this... a path right next to that same cliff i think the name is sydney i think her sister's name is sydney sydney yeah. okay so sydney goes into this uh this old hospital and she goes down to the basement and she even makes a joke it's just she finds all the records are in the basement she's like great yeah right? of course she brings a flashlight <laughs> of course it's in the basement and it's super creepy it's wet it looks but bananas down there and she finds the records she finds all the vhs tapes and then she hears a noise in the records room she looks down at the tapes puts the lid on the box and then we literally cut to the next scene she is safe at home <laughs> watching the tapes and i was just like i'm holding my head thinking what was the noise in the record room was it just some rats 
was it just her imagination? It yeah, did not pay off. At I think there was all. some missing scene. And there's like there was there's comedy to be mined from that, I think, right? So from I think that there was yeah. that was the missing layer of, you know, what they what they should have shown was like, oh yeah, there was a rat or something. Or it was like the old groundskeeper came in and scared her, right? Yeah. Like that trope was like Like maybe she, Yeah, that would have been satisfied as the groundskeeper comes in, is like, what are you doing? And she's just like panicked and just like I'm just taking this. He's just like, yeah, go ahead. Like, who cares, right? Yeah. Just leave. But have something. You could you could do a comedic moment like that, but like there was nothing, there wasn't any more context given. And I see like hints of possibly where this could have been like a, a full-blown horror comedy like that. Or with like- another, Like that scene probably exists he, on the cutting Yeah. And like Sydney was actually a great kind of comic relief where like she was talking about mm-hmm. at one point, it was like, oh yeah, you guys, where like Madison was having what she thought was visions of- of the murders of these people, whereas actually though, like he was, Gabriel was using her body, but like essentially creating like a, almost like a hallucination in her mind. So she thought that she was like mm-hmm. witnessing it as a, but she was like, she was actually witnessing it through his eyes. Cause she was part there bodily, yeah. but she, it's the way it's represented on screen is like, she's having an out of body experience and witnessing this as a third party. And so like, and Sydney men- makes some kind of mention of psychics when they're talking to the police. Cause they go to the police is like, yeah. it's like, Oh man, like I'm having visions of this stuff. And the police are instantly, I mean, they're, they're kind of suspicious, but not as suspicious as they should be mm-hmm. of somebody c- coming and saying they witnessed the murder. Yeah. Um, but like Sydney makes some comment about the psychics, like you guys hire psychics to, you know, for detective work. It's like, no, we don't. The one detective is like the, uh, budget Wanda Sykes there. I can't remember what the, detective's name was well i there's a really hilarious scene where uh madison is like under hypnosis because like to get like evaluated to see what's going on yeah both police officers are on the couch um the the lady uh a cop is basically furthest on the couch and everyone else is like kind of like on the edge of their seat fully into this like they're listening everywhere and she's just like sitting back completely relaxed or just like not believing a thing that's going on in, the, in this little yeah. hypnosis session it was i i did have a chuckle but it was kind of neat when they said it was like okay we have a hypnotherapist we'd like to do like regression therapy like because because madison had like a mental block before she was eight years old when she was adopted and then like sydney perks up it's like oh hypnosis and like the cop is like it's not psychic <laughs> the hypnotherapist is not a psychic and it's just like you see yeah. the disappointment in her face like oh so it's like this little comedic beats like that right yeah and there's a little like love interest there was between sydney the sister and the uh the the male cop i can't remember his name kakoa shaw um, such a cool name kakoa shaw Kikoa. yeah it's like very a, cool that's awesome i love that i mean it looked when i when i saw him on screen i'd be like this guy looks like he belongs right in the world of saw like he just oh, yeah. has that look about him <laughs> it's just like he just came back from investigating some jigsaw murders I think. yeah the guys that, that uh sorry that actor's name george young yeah i would like to see more of george young and some stuff he would be great as like you think like yeah i think like a young like han solo-ish type like i think he has that kind of mm-hmm. potential that roguish kind of charm right it's like it'd be interesting to see what yeah. else this guy can do I've, I've never heard of him before but he was great in this but there's like a love triangle between like yeah um, Kokoa Shaw, Detective Kokoa Shaw, and and Sydney. There was like a little fl- flirtation that never went anywhere. Yeah, yeah. But then there was also that um, CSI tech that kept, um, yeah, Winnie, yes. Winnie, I think, right? Played by was that Ingrid Bisu? I'm probably butchering that. But she kept like making these like she make 
like these little hints. She was like kind of like nerdy, mousy, but she would yeah. make, make these little comments that shows she was interested in uh, <laughs> Detective Shaw. And neither of those things went anywhere. There was no like love triangle no. and there was no like nobody hooked up. It's it was just, just like, it was, it was a thread that was kind of like dropped. It was really weird. It just helped to add a little bit of depth to the characters and to the world, to, I guess, make it feel a little sort more of, but again, lived in, I the, guess. The problem is like there was a, a couple set up setups with no payoffs. There were some setups that were paid off, but there were a couple things that just like just violated those kind of fundamental rules of storytelling. Yeah. It's like, here's some setups, but there's no payoff at the end to wrap this up. And it, and again, it's like these are some again some of the scenes here that are showing in the in the yeah. film and the and the storytelling and the overall story, I guess. And I gotta say, a very nice payoff for me at least. Like the final climax of the film, they're in the hospital room. Uh, Madison's birth mother is there. Uh, Madison's foster like stepsister is there, um, and Sydney is like under like she's kind of pinned by this bed. Gabriel is in like full control. He's going to murder everybody. Right. And Madison is kind of watching as she does in all the previous, uh, uh, like reality bending scenes where she's a passenger to Gabriel's vision here has no control. And she's kind of like learning. She's about to take control. Right. And the movie's leading up thinking, okay, she's going to get control of Gabriel, put in a stop to this. Gabriel has the gun. He's holding it in such a weird way because everything's all backwards because he's controlling Madison's body. Like he's holding the gun upside down to Sydney's head and he shoots the gun and kills her. And I literally almost jumped out of my seat at this point. I'd be like, I cannot believe they just killed the sister. I cannot believe this. It's like this movie has been full of little misdirects and like false things that don't come to be. And then bam, they do this to me. And it turns out, of course, that Madison has created her own reality and trapped Gabriel in it. Like she is now in control, uh, making Gabriel believe that he had control. I thought that was really nice. I mean, maybe it was telegraphed. I don't know. It seemed to be like a nice, uh, a nice payoff from the previous scenes where she was distraught inside his realities. I hated that. I hated that. It felt like such a cop out where it was just like, oh, so what I thought was mm. going to happen was, and what to me would have made sense would be like, oh, because the whole thing is like at the beginning, she's like, oh, I never knew what it was like to have like a connection with a blood relation, which is kind of because yeah. then she revealed because she knew she was adopted, Madison that is, but like her sister Sydney didn't know that, that Madison was adopted. And so like she does this yeah. reveal and she's like, it's kind of a slap in the face to her parents and her sister who she lived with as a family is like, oh, I never felt a real connection to you. It's like, that's why, that's why she's like, oh, I'm so sad for losing the baby because I finally had a blood connection to somebody. It's like, and then at the end I thought it was like, oh, he shoots Sydney, Sydney dies. And that's like the shock that she realized like, oh, that was my, like, forget about blood. Like yeah. that was my sister. And like, that was the, the, yeah, the yeah. impetus she needed to take control. And then she takes yeah, control. I can see that. But like this was such a, it felt to me like such a cop out. Was like, oh yeah, we get to have our cake and eat it too. It's like the ending of um, Savages, where people criticize that. Where it's like, I don't know if you remember Savages at all. If you've seen that movie, um, I don't recall. Oliver Stoneflick, no, go go for it. But without, I don't know, getting too much into spoilers, they have like essentially there's like uh, two endings. One is like they have a crazy shootout that happens and a bunch of people die and the main characters, but then it cuts back to like, oh, this is what really happened. This is what would have happened kind of thing so they show two different kind of endings and it feels like it was like oh yeah we get the shock value of of killing sydney but then we don't actually there's no consequences to the action she doesn't actually yeah. die 
But for me, it would have made more emotional resonance. It's like, oh, you, the motivation for her finally being able to take control over Gabriel again was like, no, like yeah. my connection with my sister, you killed the one person that I truly cared about in the world. And we had, and then she finds out too late that she did have that connection with somebody that yeah. she was looking for. But in the end, and that's the thing too. Uh, yeah. So like, yeah. So for me, it fell flat for you. It paid off for me. That was, felt like kind of a cop out, but then the whole ending scene where she was talking about, I was like, Oh yeah, I have this big connection with my sister. Like throughout, maybe it was just the chemistry with the actors or partially it was like the story didn't really give those two characters room to breathe with each other at all. But like, I didn't get any sense of real sisterly connection between them other than the, the movie like directly telling me they're sisters yeah, and they have a connection. Yeah. It's like, but there was nothing shown between the actors or between or in yeah. the writing to show that they had that really special connection. I don't know. You know, I can't fully disagree with some of those points there for sure. And I kind of wonder if like that ending was different, like maybe you shot and, and completed in the way that you sort of described, but you know, production interference so to speak or audience reaction to test audiences would be like no we need the sister to survive right and maybe it was also like oh we watch this product it's like we might have a couple sequels on our hand here where we're going to need to bring some of these characters forward right uh but uh, yeah i can't disagree with it with a lot of those points there there was some weird chemistry or lack thereof yeah, in the sister i don't know whether that's the or that's just like sometimes like just different people might not have that spark and might not be able might not play every other and that's fine but it felt like also the writing just didn't give them the space to to build that relationship and then i think another thing that you mentioned is like yeah i saw right away as soon as like that such a cool idea for a killer was revealed and they had that weapon where it's like taking it was like that trophy it's like the yes. knife and the two snakes like that common medical symbol and like yeah. um, gabriel took that and sharpened that that trophy into a weapon and it was like really cool weapon really cool killers like i knew exactly specifically from james wan who was the master of creating these really marketable really profitable um really entertaining um movie series it's like it, but it felt like too a little bit too on the nose with creating like it seemed like yeah. it was too forward looking to, to setting up more sequels is like of course she's gonna get this under control and her sister's gonna be there because they need that for the yeah. sequel whereas like saw or conjuring didn't have that sequelitis kind of feeling where they felt like self-contained narratives where you, you could watch this yes and yes. they weren't worried about setting up the whole universe with the nun and la Llorona and the creepy doll that happened kind of after the fact or saw yeah saw didn't feel like you can watch Saw and enjoy that movie on its own. It didn't feel like they were they were setting up specifically for twenty. Well, there was no ambition. Yeah, exactly. There's no ambition when they made Conjuring well, or Saw or in, even probably Insidious that there would be continuing franchises. It's like even James Wan and everyone involved in creating these is falling victim to our modern like franchise yeah. everything under the sun. Yeah, I think not not to say that the movie was terrible and not to say that sequels aren't going to be good because they're, they're probably going to be um, entertaining um, especially for horror genre and the horror genre that it was, a, it was a new idea and it's going to be really neat to see. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to call it now. It's, it is going to be really neat to see the sequels and where they take them. But for me, it just felt yeah. almost uh, too much. Like it was like, it had that in the back of its mind. And you can kind of tell in that ending, it's like, yeah, we're setting this up so that, Gabriel and Madison don't die so that they can be around for the next 20 sequels, right? 
Yeah. The thing is, I, I find a lot of these horror movie franchises to be so consumable. Like they are so easy to put on and revisit. And I like yeah. that they're not very heavy. Um, this one, I don't think there was any crazy, like special hidden meanings behind behind it. It just no. kind of seemed a little surface level, uh, which is fine. I mean, I would give bonus points if it had more commentary about stuff, but the movie is what it is. Yeah. And do I look forward to more of them? Sure. But also I'm kind of nervous because honestly, like James Wan, uh, Lee Wenell, who did uh, Saw, right? I think probably go, they give equal credit to both for Saw. Uh, he created Insidious. He created The Conjuring, all this stuff. And he did like The Conjuring 2, which I quite enjoyed. And you and yeah. I watched Conjuring 3 about a month ago, and I was not into it at all. Like it just felt yeah. like a, such a different film. Insidious, he did one and two, and then three and four kind of felt more like direct-to-video stuff where... You know, as soon as Juan is out of the picture, his franchise, like his properties, uh, just seem to kind of fall apart. It's just like, is he going to come back for a second malignant or did he do everything he needed to do for this? And just it's a case of definitely those franchises are a case of diminishing returns. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's a problem, not just with, with um, these movies and the horror movies and James Wan. I don't, I don't think... I don't want to single him out because I think there's a an ongoing trend in the industry where it's like we're constantly looking for the next um you know series and like what's the next yeah, billion dollar yeah. franchise and like putting out a product instead of trying to tell a story and I think that it was a little bit more obvious that this movie kind of suffered from that mentality whether it was from James Wan end or the studios end or it felt like some kind mm -hmm. of that influence there was like it felt very much kind of forward thinking to like, what's the next movie going to be? Or how can we leave this in a place where they can make more sequels? Whereas, you know, like yeah. Friday the 13th, that first movie is like, they didn't, they weren't thinking about sequels necessarily when they made that film. It was like, yeah. they went crazy or, or Freddy or any of those ones, the first ones, like they weren't, I don't know if they were thinking about sequels at the time. I don't think so. When they, when they made bank, they obviously did, but like, they left everything on the table essentially right they didn't they weren't they didn't have those constraints where like the studio was like well we're gonna need to make 10 sequels so you can't kill off this character you can't you know leave yeah. things in a permanent state where we can't come back from you can't do this 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 or this and it's like well all of a sudden you're constrained in your storytelling and you i think you get a sense of the walls kind yeah. of there was a smaller box of sand or a smaller sandbox to play in and maybe they had for like saw or the conjuring where it felt like they were given mm -hmm. more carte blanche because there was no expectations. Where like now I think like that's, that's right. they're suffering a little bit. I think James Wan is suffering a little bit from the weight of the expectations of all the success that he's had, right? And I think, yeah, I think that, that I think to the movie's detriment, unfortunately, like it could have been, it was good for me, but it could have been great. And I think there was a couple minor touches, and it would have bumped this up a lot for me. Well, it's interesting uh, talking about. Uh, like the original Saw, which had a micro budget, like a few hundred thousand yeah. dollars, I think. Uh, I, I don't know about Conjurator and Insidious, but I think they were fairly low budget affairs. Malignant had a budget of about $40 million. Really? Which is honestly pretty high for a horror film. Um, and of course, it's going to be difficult to make that back in this uh, sort of uh, uh, landscape right now with the pandemic uh, still going on. Uh, but... Wikipedia is telling me that made $30 million at the box office and that doesn't include all the video on demand stuff that I'm sure a lot of people are participating in. 
But that ha- surely has to play a factor into it. I mean, a lot of these horror movies that are so good are made for five to ten million dollars. They make thirty or forty. They're huge successes, and you're going to be guaranteed sequels. They we may not be guaranteed a sequel to this. Yeah, one, it's not. Uh, it's not Bloomhouse budget, right? Bloomhouse came in like look at like mm-hmm. some like The Invisible Man or you know any other recent uh, movies was like they do a really. Um, really strong push to keep the budget really low and like focus on the story, get a really, really strong, high concept, keep that mm-hmm. budget low, keep everything profitable. And then you keep that going forward. Right. You, so like, this is not, this is not the Bloomhouse model here. This is like a studio, like banking on James Wan's past successes yeah. to make even more money here. So I think there's, there's a little bit more cynicism. I think this movie's a little bit more cynical in how it was made. I think that maybe some of those other franchises, right? Like then saw or conjuring, which feel a lot yeah. more earnest. I mean, the conjuring movies, there's so serious in tone, like all the characters in there yeah. are so serious, but there's an earnestness to that filmmaking, that storytelling that I think is lacking a little bit in malignance. Despite the fact that it's like, on the other hand, it's like, it's one yeah. of the coolest, um, slasher killer identities in, in recent memory. Right. It's like, so it's like, it's, it's this weird balance. It's like, I want to see more original ideas like this, but it just there's something that just kind of yeah. reeks of studio interference in this movie. And yeah, honestly, uh, you just kind of reminded me of that. Another thing I kind of liked about this was the pace of the action. Or sorry, not the pace of the action, but the action sequences themselves. Like when Kakoa Shaw is chasing after Gabriel, okay. it's like, this is a pretty intense chase going out on the streets. And I'm sorry, but like at one point, Gabriel slides into the basement oh of God. what looks like an abandoned building. And Kokoa has no problems just sliding into that window, like following this dude in there, right? This place is creepy as heck. Like it, it's it's bonkers. But that action scene, what was fun, like that chase scene, um, and of course the okay. police yes. uh, assault was completely exactly. bananas. So there's this is the thing too, because I think James Wan has really gotten his. He's he started off with a lot of horror movies, but he's done. He's got his action bonafides now, right? So I think. This mm-hmm. movie, he's really showing off his action chops. I think we need to talk about a couple scenes here. One is that chase between yeah. Shaw and Gabriel, like you're saying, and it's so it starts off in the apartment of that one of those doctors that he was hunting down, and yeah. uh, and they have a little fight and a little tussle, and it's like all of a sudden you see it's like okay, this is not a, Gabriel is confirmed. He's not a supernatural entity. He occupies real. Yes space and he's a physical <laughs> he's a person so now he's like okay one mystery so because before that it was always kind of in that weird space like is he just like is he a psychic projection or is he some kind of ghost or demon or something he's like no he's a physical person and he's out doing stuff but then you at mm-hmm. first and you see him as like you saw him before is like something kind of weird about the way he was moving but then you see him go down the uh like doing all the acrobatics and parkour down the uh fire escape and you can see like his yeah. joints don't look right in his arms and legs. Like, yeah. he's, he's moving really <laughs> creepy and it's really well shot. And then Shaw chases him down. He jumps a couple stories, lands on that. Uh, that's really hard on that. Um, oh man. Garbage. Um, what am I saying? Dumpster. But, but, but the lid, is, but you think he's going to jump into like an open one, but it's like, it's closed and he lands on his shoulder for some reason, instead of landing on his legs and rolling over. Well, he did it on purpose and yeah. you could see him when he was jumping off. He wasn't jumping like feet first. He went off knowing into that he was shoulder. probably going to dislocate his shoulder a, out of it. Yeah. It's such a weird way to jump. But anyway, <laughs> he's fine. And they, yeah. And then they established earlier that the whole history of Seattle is like after the, there was a big fire, 
And then because mm -hmm. of flooding, they just decided to build the, rebuild the city like a story higher over, over the old city. Yeah. So it's like this really Which seems to be a lot more common than in the US. <laughs> yeah, I think they did the same thing in Chicago as well. I was reading about this recently, yeah. or maybe it's a different city. Maybe it was Seattle again. I don't know. I could just be making stuff up. But like it's really creepy. And they're going through like all these old abandoned tunnels and, and old abandoned uh, um, businesses and buildings and stuff. And they finally get this place and there's all stage coaches and everything and all old timey yeah. gear that was just left abandoned theoretically. And they have this big um, face off and they're like having this like hand to hand fight. And it's, it's actually, it's actually really neat and really, it's not as tense as I thought. I, I thought I didn't think that Shaw was actually in any danger and it turns out he's actually no, fine. Yeah. I don't know why that is the way it is. There was some kind of tension missing from that scene where like, I didn't really believe that Shaw was in danger. Maybe because he was just like too good looking and he was like friends with the main characters. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, like, and, and they have a little tussle, Fair. but then again, it's like, you see Gabriel escape and he's doing like these little parkour moves up and he gets out to the yeah. roof and is like, but it's, it's dark, but you can see what's going on. And it's just enough to get that sense of like this, this person's moving really weird, really something really uncanny about the way they're moving in their environment. Yeah. And it's just like something really creepy and unsettling, just watching Gabriel move in that fight and then uh, <laughs> climbing up the, uh, the side there, escaping through that hole in the roof, but just a great scene all around. And then that uncanny movement is like amplified even more so in the police station. I guess, well, before there, Mattis is brought into the jail cell, like this open jail cell with, right. I don't know, I want to say 20 other Second women. Second scene, yeah. The and cell. a couple of the girls start picking on her. Yeah, holding cell, sorry. A couple of the girls start picking on her and actually push her to the ground, just start kicking her just for being who she is, I guess. And of course, Gabriel emerges and takes action and just starts breaking bones, crushing skulls with her feet, like, it is grotesque. Yeah. It is horrific, but it's also just like, this feels like it could be from a different movie, right? This is like from some crazy action. The tone, yeah. The tone definitely changes a couple of times here. And like, it's also established. I think it's important to, to mention that Gabriel slash Madison, something else also gives them like super strength as well. Um, it's it, possibly, which yeah. it comes up a couple of times where like, um, I think they mentioned like the abusive husband at the beginning where it's like, the CSI person was like, I've seen, or the medical coroner, maybe it was whoever was investigating. is like, I've seen, that's right. I've seen injuries like this, but like mostly yes. from a car crash. Cause it was so brutal. And you saw like the neck was like dislocated in the bone. This part of the yeah, spine, yeah. part of the spine that's was sticking point. out. So like, and I think they mentioned also in other scenes was like, Gabriel has super strength and then Madison taps into it at the end, but like the yeah. breaking bones and just the way that that they're moving kind of backwards where like he pops his, like the shoulders yeah. out of joints and everything to get ready for his, his forward facing mentality, but it's like yeah. murders that whole group of like 20 <laughs> women and the cop who comes to like, see, to save them, see what's going on. I was like, I thought there'd be security cameras in there, but apparently not, but just a brutal scene, tons of gore for the gore lovers. Yeah. And just like really, again, creepy. And there's a little bit of humor there in that. So that, you know, that, that, that first woman who starts, um, picking on Madison there, that's actually yes. Zoe Bell. I had no idea hmm. because I think okay. they made her up to look a lot older than she was and a little more yeah. trashy, but that's Zoe Bell who people might know she's a famous stunt woman um, or stunt coordinator or stunt uh, artist. I don't know. Stunt, yes. stunt person. Stunt person. Stunt person. Yeah. Um, she was famously, she worked on a lot of Tarantino uh, movies. She was even, she even starred in uh, death proof. 
but that was mm -hmm. her. She's unrecognizable, but she was, she was going around oh. like trying to escape Gabriel. And, but she was like throwing her fellow, yes. fellow inmates <laughs> in the way to try and like buy her time to escape. Um, luckily she gets it in the end too, but like there was like somebody's head got crushed. Like Gabriel stepped on their oh. head and crushed it. Their broken bones. There yeah. were just people's throats. Just he reached over one time. was like with his hand, just ripped somebody's throat out. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty gory is some neat gore in there. It was very, very gory. And it just got even worse when, uh, Gabriel and Madison get out into the regular police precinct office, which I took note of as well. It looks like it was an old abandoned, like, uh, like a some kind of transportation station or something like huge cathedral ceilings all tile floor like it had a very it distinct like style to it something out of either the batman the animated series or the batman nolan yeah. films or just like that architectural touch the only thing i didn't yeah. like about the police station um shootout scene there after so after she escapes the cell she gets out and then she takes on all the cops and just murders a bunch of cops she doesn't care who she kills she kills criminals she kills cops everybody between or yeah. he he slash she um but it's like it was it was really really dark in there and it made it a little bit harder to see what was going on i really wish it was like a little bit more brightly lit so you could see every yeah every kind of every bone breaking every throat stabbed i just wish it was a little well, bit brighter. They, yeah I mean, it's like at that point, they kind of have to start hiding a few things because there's like 30 cops in this room and they're all starting to take shots at, at Gabriel and Madison. And it's like, surely someone must be able to put a bullet in this person. Like, and it's just like, no, cartwheeling around, parkouring off desks and breaking necks and tearing people's arms off. It was just, it was a gore I guess it's, it's not bad for somebody who's been uh, asleep for 30 years. It's pretty good. Yeah. Well, this is the other thing. Gabriel, I mean, I'm glad you brought up that thing about maybe having supernatural strength because Gabriel must have been taking control and bring Madison to the gym a lot more often no, than was alluded to. No, in the they, film. <laughs> they literally say that Gabriel has um, higher strength. He, he has strength. I guess it makes strength. sense since, I mean, even though it's unexplained why Gabriel it's can, unexplained, you know, but make cell phone calls with his brain, um, you know, it's just, it stands to reason that they would have increased strength as well. It's just like a no-brainer. Why not? I guess it's like maybe sure it's like <laughs> maybe a surge of adrenaline gives them extra strength. Who knows? But it's again like another thing that's not kind of mentioned. It's mentioned once or twice and then they kind of forget about it. But yeah. So like, but that's, but the whole scene is still like, it's a little bit too dark for my liking, but like, it's so well choreographed. You can still follow what's going on. You can yeah. still see, it's like, you can oh, still yeah. get a sense of, of place and a sense of movement within that place. So you're like, oh no. You know that these cops are over here and those cops are over there and they're like end up like kind of shooting at each other because they're in the dark yeah. and they're shooting it's like okay you sense that gabriel's here and he's moving from there to there and it's like it's very well you can, you can tell they went through a storyboard they thought it out really thoroughly and they filmed it mm -hmm. the way they filmed it was like really really clear what was going on i just wish that it's like brighten bring that lighting level up just a couple notches just so we could see. maybe you need to watch the uh the hdr the 4k hdr version to get a little <laughs> extra brightness in there <laughs> maybe <laughs> but overall yeah again it felt like those action scenes felt like they were their own movie right like felt yeah. like they were their own it was such like a jarring kind of genre shift whereas like you, you look at like the old kind of killers like um like michael myers or jason well even yeah. Freddie, who was kind of you know quicker on his feet, he was never doing 
parkour and cartwheeling around and stuff. And I think that is honestly like a direct uh, correlation between budget and having like slow moving uh, like villains that don't do a whole lot, except just they get on top of you to kill you right away. This one with all that budget, like that scene alone, like the jail cell and the police station scene, that combo, like this 10, 15 minutes of film, probably cost a lot of money and that would have just been completely excised out of a lower budget film. And is the movie better or worse for it? I was in the mood for it. I appreciated the, the mixture of these two genres and I liked that James Wan can competently direct both styles of films. And that's where I was kind of ended up at with that action scene. Yeah. A well shot action scene, but like, again, some of the seams were showing. It felt like, again, that's where it felt like it was like, a couple different movies or scripts that were kind of like stitched together. I don't know. Yeah. So with all that being said, is it time to talk about your score? What do you, what do you rate (laughs) this film? Ah, yeah. So like, I think it's pretty obvious in talking about this that I'm kind of on the fence about this, but I think Mm -hmm. I would have to give this a, a three out of five. Three out of five. Three out of five. It's a really solid film. Really well made. Um, Really neat idea, really, um, for a a horror villain. And I can see the franchise potential. I mean, this is a couple of years. I can see, you know, potentially like you're going to see Gabriel join the horror pantheon up here with, you know, Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers and Jigsaw, another James Wan creation. Um, but again, it's like, it felt like there was that kind of that cynical input from maybe the studio side of things, maybe James Wan getting inside of his own head a little bit and, and trying to like Mm -hmm. push himself too far to like, you know, so many different misdirects. It felt like we were misdirecting the misdirects and like Mm -hmm. getting so kind of like all these kind of meta, like kind of trying to outsmart the audience and then feeling like it was like a bunch of ideas where if they would have pared down like the electrical control stuff, they would have pared down the super strength stuff. They would have made it like more straight horror or more straight action or played or made, if you're going to make it a a horror comedy, make it a horror comedy. It felt like it was never really decided really what it wanted to be. And so it fell a little flat for me, but I I didn't hate it. Right. I didn't, I don't hate this movie. I give it a three out of five. I'd recommend it to people to watch. But it's not going to be, I don't I don't think for me, it wasn't genre defining. This is not like yeah. the horror movie of the year for me or of the decade. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a home, a clear home run like some of Juan's other movies. That's pretty fair. I'm honestly a bit surprised uh, that you would still rate it high, as highly as three stars out but of five. But that's only, three out of five uh, is only respect. 60% though. It's like, it's not super yeah. high. <laughs> for me, it's like an average rating. I don't know. Maybe, like, I know what I'm going to rate it. And maybe that's why I'm thinking, oh man, I, maybe he should rate his lowers. Because I, I was leaning more towards three and a half stars for this film. And I feel okay. like I was a lot more positive on the movie. I'm willing to <laughs> let go of a lot of these things, right? Like, it didn't, didn't bother me. And honestly, it might just be circumstance. You know, a long rainy day. Uh, watch this on a Saturday night. Nice big bowl of popcorn. It's been a few days. Cold soda. I this just scratched the itch that I didn't know I had on Saturday night. I really had a lot of fun with it. The issue is I'm not going to go into four star territory because I didn't feel like the movie had anything more interesting to save and just being sort of like a surface level, no, like piece of entertainment I that mean, I can consume. If you want to like compare, I compared it to like some of my gold standards now. If you look at 
um, Ariaster. I think is it Ariaster? Sure. Who does who did Hereditary and Midsummer? Yeah. But Hereditary and Midsummer for me was like, yeah, it's the horror genre, but like they were you could go you could deep dive into those movies. Yeah, yeah, and you could take exactly. a really deep dive. Even something like In the Earth was I didn't really I wasn't really keen on. But then you could you could peel back some layers on that a little bit. Yeah. Um and then like stuff like um Resolution or The Endless. I keep coming back to this, but you could go down and, and look at some different layers. Even if you didn't like the films, there was there was different layers of meaning where I felt like this was just more kind of straight up. Um, it was just what you see is what you get, and I, I did mm-hmm. give it a point. Like for me, is like yeah, it, it won me over a little bit more with the originality. Right, you come up with an original idea. It's not just another demonic possession. Mm-hmm. It's not just another haunting. Not just another slasher flick. It's a really neat take on the slasher flick. Did I think it executed it? perfectly is it genre defining is it you know is it going to change people's worlds no i don't think so but it was it was a neat uh i that's another thing too i get points for originality right and certainly is it's an original it's a neat idea basket case aside and it yeah and for me like it's it's kind of comparing it to other james wan works like the yeah. Conjuring. Conjuring, I don't remember what I rated. It's probably four, four and a half stars. Insidious, I've gone back to Insidious a few times. Am I going to go back to Malignant? If there's more of them, I'm probably going to rewatch this first one. But immediately I'm thinking in my mind, oh, is this something that I'll want to purchase on disc? Is this something I want to revisit? Is this something I want to get my other friends to watch? And it's like, yes and no, I'm, I'm going to recommend people watch this movie i'm probably not going to buy this unless it's in the five dollar bin am i going to rewatch it in a few years but it's not i don't think it's going to be as memorable as a lot of the other horror yeah. movies that i've been uh consuming lately so that's where i end up with a three and a half star i might watch it in two years time and think man that was not nearly as as much fun as I had the first time around, maybe it goes down to three or maybe I just appreciate more for what it is. And it goes up to a solid four just for the fun factor alone. Yeah. That's where I'm I mean, at. even something like, and we've talked before and I'm not a huge fan of the real life, uh, Warrens, um, Ed and Lorraine Warren mm. on who the conjuring films are based, but like in separating out like art from the actual source material, like the conjuring films are still like one and two. Those are great. Um, you know, like movies about, you know, ghosts or demons and stuff. It's like, I can, you know, like I, I, yeah. I'm probably going to go back and watch those this Halloween. Actually, I was going to go, um, once we watch those after rewatching yeah. the, the third one there, maybe do a, a watch of the conjuring universe. Cause that's like seven films now or eight films now. There's a lot of them now. Yeah. But yeah. Like even like, even with my complete dislike of Ed and Lorraine Warren in real life as people, I still like the conjuring for me is like, that sounds out. That's a really great, horror movie and i don't think that mm-hmm. i'm gonna revisit that movie i mean i am gonna revisit the conjuring i know that but am i am i gonna revisit malignant i don't have the same urge to rewatch that i don't think let's say like the saw movies yeah i'm gonna watch saw again for sure right i'm definitely it's on it's on the list i love that movie but like malignant didn't i didn't get the same vibes i didn't get that same yeah. it wasn't the same caliber i don't think you have anything else to uh, add to this conversation over Malignant? A message to James Wan, like, keep making movies, keep coming up with original ideas, <laughs> and keep honing your craft, because I think that, I mean, James Wan is one of those people, like, he slides under the radar, but he is one of the most, like, outside of the MCU, 
I think was the Conjuring universe is really the only other um, really successful shared movie universe has been created and sustained over any length of films, right? That's true. The quality is quality uh, might be something else. A little <laughs> iffy there with some of those entries, but you know what they're doing it. And the thing is, the budget just allows them to do things like that. It's just like. All right, I'm on board. Yeah. I'm subscribed. Quality issues aside, potentially, I haven't seen all the other movies, but like he he was he successfully uh, he like James Wan and Kevin Feige are essentially right now the only people who've successfully kind of ushered in successful movie yeah. universes. People have been trying to do this cinematic universes. So, yeah, and definitely horror movies I think honestly are easier to franchise. Historically, it's like even though Friday the 13th was made Without any ambition for sequels, it's like easier to just come up with excuses to throw more movies on and keep going yeah. more and more and more. Uh, Halloween, Friday the 13th, et cetera. It's just like, uh, we're fine. Yeah. We're fine I'd, with getting more of this honestly, stuff. Honestly, I'd rather watch James Wan try something new and not quite succeed than yeah. watch another Halloween sequel that's that that is pretty good. Because I, I don't want to yeah. keep, I don't want to just watch the same three franchises over and over again. I want to, yeah, exactly. I want to watch new original ideas. And I think giving people like James Wan and, and other people and other filmmakers like him chances to try new things. I mean, some, they're not always going to be successful, but I think yeah. that that's really important. And I think him kind of like earning that goodwill to go out and try new things is really important in helping to push forward, um, not just the horror genre, but filmmaking in general, right? And being able to try those new ideas and and potentially fail, not not really succeed, but getting to getting those new ideas out there and pushing that envelope a little bit, right? Honestly, it was it was almost a relief when I finished watching this. It's like, oh, they did not tie this into the Conjuring yeah. universe. They did not tie it in Insidious. It's like this isn't some secret like uh, Conjuring movie that they just slipped in under the radar. It's like, no, no, this is its own thing. And thank you for, for doing that. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a wrap on another episode of the Real Film Chronicles podcast. Thank you for listening and hanging out with us today. We really appreciate your support and look forward to you joining us for the next episode. We can be found around the internet and social media with our home base being realfilmchronicles.com, which will have all the links you need to follow and keep in touch with us. If you have a moment, we'd really appreciate if you could leave some feedback, such as a rating on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening on. And feel free to send us an email to realfilmchronicles at outlook.com. We'd love some suggestions, questions, or general comments and would enjoy including them on an upcoming episode. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep your film journey going.